Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Well, this sucks. couple reasons why i wanted to get you on this show again um one well there's actually three reasons um well actually sorry there's four reasons why i wanted you to get back get you back on the show one is uh you got an extensive background with working with first nations all over canada two you live in the yukon so you're not in bc but you've been paying a close eye on on what's been going on Mm mm-hmm and you know you have great views on both sides of the table you're able to see see what's going on and and for i just you know i love chatting with you so um thanks for coming on again yeah no that's good it's um it's been a man it's been a busy year for um hunting regulations and 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 initiatives and stuff all over canada and the u.s so yeah uh, it's been busy keeping track of it all it has and it's been uh it's been an emotional roller coaster for a lot and i think a lot mm-hmm. of people right now their their emotions are running high and their angers or their emotions are angers fueled by emotions and you know i kind of think it all stems from uh not necessarily misinformation just missing pieces of information yeah and there are so many layers that with with anything that has to do with hunting because it affects so many different parts of life. We often like to sort of talk about hunting as just a, a biological management issue or just an environmental management issue, right? But um, as, and as hunters, we know this, it's not, we don't just see hunting as just a physical activity. It has to do all, with all kinds of parts of our life. And managing hunting is the same way. It has, it has so much to do with social and political issues and environmental issues. And I think sometimes we, we, we don't sort of get the entire all those layers and figure them out we don't sort of see the whole sandwich we just sort of see pieces of of the ingredients of it and we don't get the picture of the whole thing and it's tough it's tough to to we were talking this other day it's tough to have the time to really piece and stitch together all of the different historical issues and and current 
things going on. So I understand for, you know, for people who, who are, like you say, they're feeling passionate about this. And um, sometimes there's misinformation. Sometimes there's just a lack of information. And sometimes there's active disinformation. And it's tough to sort those out. Yeah, for sure. And exactly. Um, and you no, know, that's one of the things about you know, the way the world is now with social media, it's just everything gets turned and twisted and it gets, you know, governments, whether they, they, it's meanful or not, they just seem to wedge, put a wedge in between um, people in this, you know, in, in this specific case that we're talking about, we're talking about uh, First Nations and, and, you know, non-natives, you know, just the lack of communication with resident hunters and the government is just created a to me it's just right now this whole 7b issue is just a complete mess mm -hmm. to be honest so um so i kind of want to talk about i kind of want to clarify a few things first um you know i i uh i recently did a post on instagram and it, it stirred up a lot of uh a lot of emotions i got a lot of comments some text messages few phone calls uh some emails not all of them great uh the ones that were not great. Obviously, I deleted them right away. And, and, you know, the emails that weren't great, I just ignored them altogether. Right. Um, so uh, just to clarify, uh, when I was on Friday, I attended the, the GOABC annual meeting, the Guide Outfitters of British Columbia general meeting. And there was a conversation between Scott Ellis is who's the executive director of uh, the Guide Outfitters Association and uh, Michael Burwash. He's the associate director for the ministry of Flinro. And, you know, there, there was a lot of conversation. There was a lot of, you know, emotional conversation, a lot of frustration from the guide outfitters directed to uh, Mr. Burwash and not just Mr. Burwash. He was there on a panel. You know, there was, there was numerous ever other um, representatives there of not just the ministry of Flinro, but there was, um, you know, there was uh, people there representing different areas of government. We don't have to mm -hmm. get into all that. So anyway, through the conversation, it came out that what the nation is asking the of the government is one, they want the grizzly bear reinstated. Two, they want more control burns on the landscape. Three, they want better and more predator control management. I think those are kind of the same thing. Um, I think they're doing a pretty good job currently, the government of managing wolves. I think that they just want to see more of it. I know there's 12, 12 active um, sections of land or areas that they're that they're doing predator control. So number four on the list was they wanted moose and caribou hunting shut down for non-residents of the piece. And number five was that they wanted the guide outfitters in the area left out of this. So obviously when I, as soon as I post it, right, I, you know, you get a lot of angry, emotional hunters. Um, it's tough because I don't see how, you know, we're all taxpayers in this province. I don't see how you can, the province can go along and say, listen, you guys have this postal code, so you can access this wildlife resource. You guys don't have that postal code, so you, so you can't. Mm -hmm. Could so you imagine, could, sorry for interrupting, could you imagine no. the animosity from all the different regions if that were to happen from hunters to hunters? Like if, well, if you're planning yeah. to hunt up north and then they said, no, you can't, but the others can. And how do you think the hunters in the south would feel, let's say, if they were the, you know, people from the Peace region were to come down, like talk about separating hunters. Well, like, and to get back to some of my comments, that's what a lot of people were hinting at. We're just like, hey, if we're not going to be allowed up there to hunt in your guys area, fuck you. You're not allowed to come down and hunt California rams and or bighorns or whatever. Right. You're not allowed to come down here. That's scary. 
So I just, it's also just how, like, I, th- I think you pointed this out in your post is how would they um, manage that? How would the BC government actually, I mean, I suppose, it, you know, applying, you'd have to apply for permits and show residency or we've right. But um, I, I just don't tough. see. Yeah. How do you, well, in only that, this is, this only pertains to moose and caribou. So it's fine if somebody, if say mm-hmm. Pete and I want to go up and we want to go hunt deer go hunt elk or go hunt black bear that's fine but like it's really like i just don't see how you can do it right like i'm a resident hunter i buy all my tags at the start of the year i have a moose tag i'm going up north i'm going say i'm going elk hunting and somebody like a conservation over pull a conservation officer pulls me over he sees i have a moose tag in my pocket he's going to be like you're not allowed to hunt moose up here right and then mm-hmm. like how do you kind of like is he just supposed to take you at your word yeah exactly like yeah. I, I, I mean, we all you could be hunting the the spike fork season in your region, which is the same as my region. We've talked about that before, so all the reason. Yeah, exactly. I'm wondering first place. Why was it? Why was the line drawn around residents of that region and non-residents of that region, and not a permit hunt of like a, an LEH? Or was it was was the thinking that? Every re- that if you just limited to residents of the region, you could have a manageable number of hunters and and also not have to bring in an LEH. Okay, from my understanding, talking to a couple local guides that operate around, there's three there's three First Nations reserves bands that hold you know they have reserved land there in a certain area of the piece. Now this is not confirmed. This is the First Nations had never said this. Um, this is just a conversation I had with an outfitter. Now, what they are mad at is that out of like resident resident hunters from down south come up and there's access roads that are all over, you know, contiguous with the the Indian the the First Nations reserves, right, with their land. And they're going in there, they're setting up big camps, they're making a mess, and they've just had enough of it. Okay. So, I mean, that's where that's coming from. Yeah. Okay. Now, so, I can yeah. totally see this. I'd like, hey, if you guys are going up there making a big fucking mm-hmm. mess, mm-hmm. being just assholes, then you fuck, then that's what happens. You, you yep. get that's the unfortunate thing about hunting. I mean, it, we see it all over. You get some idiots out in the out in the back country and they're shooting, shooting signs and drinking beers and uh, they get pegged as hunters doing it right and they're just a couple bad apples ruin it for everybody this yeah. where it gets really sticky is like how like realistically what could have been asked maybe instead of being like we just don't want hunters in there because i i you know what i can see exactly what what has probably happened in the past let now again i don't know any of this this hasn't been confirmed i'm just from my point of view what I could see happening is that maybe you know there there has been times when outfitters First Nations up there, they've approached resident hunters and resident hunters have dealt with it in, yeah. you know, just poorly, un- yeah. poorly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. No. And that, and that's, that's what I'm trying to figure out, right? What was the rationale for this, the, the line between residents and non-residents? And again, like of that region, not of the province. Right. And, mm-hmm. and that, yeah, I mean, look, like, I agree with you. If people are, this is this the whole, like, it's the reverse of the whole, not in my backyard thing, which is that. I will behave differently for people will behave differently when they're in someone else's backyard than they will in their own backyard. And that's it. Like if, if people are going into another region of the province and yeah, behaving poorly, both socially to other people and, you know, treating the land poorly, I can totally understand the frustration. Absolutely. I mean, there's still the, this, you know, the, the point where that meets 
like we were saying before, logistics around management, enforcement, all that kind of stuff. That's so not I, so neatly de designed. <laughs> yeah, well, and now having that on the table, I can see why the First Nations up there would want to have it close to non-resident hunters. If that's mm -hmm. the case, I could totally get that, right? Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, the provincial government has a responsibility to put resident hunters before guide outfitters. And the guide outfitters right now are getting screwed, perhaps because of the actions of a couple, you know, bad apples. Mm -hmm. You know, this is, again, this is not, this is just a conversation we're having. This is not, this idea, yeah. this is not on the record or nothing. This is just a conversation, just speculation. You know, these are possibilities. And again, nobody knows if, if, if there was clarity to some of these issues, then maybe it was, but everything is done behind closed doors. So everything, nobody knows, right? And yeah, uh, exactly. And that, and that's the thing is when I attend a meeting between the geo, you know, that the, that the guide outfitters association of British Columbia had for its members, me being a resident hunter gets into that meeting. And then I hear this, I'm like, well, okay, well, obviously I have to inform my fellow resident hunters because that's not right. Do you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like the, the province has an obligation to number one, have a priority for conservation. Two is first nations. Three is resident hunters. Four is um, guide outfitters. So now honoring it, its obligation, if some, if a nation says, Hey, our, we're being, our, our rights to hunt and fish are being affected here to cumulative effect, cumulative effect could be too many resident hunters in the area. The province comes back and says, Hey, well, according to our priority list for wildlife, we have to honor this and we have to put resident hunters again, ahead of guide outfitters. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, guide outfitters are, are losing the caribou and they're losing, you know, they're getting 45 moose tags issued over 35 um, outfits. So that's yeah. one or two each, depending. I don't know how, how that's going to get divvied out, but that's, that's, that's what's happening. Pretty, that's a pretty big financial loss for them. That'll well, ruin uh, yeah. Like it. a lot, there was a lot of emotions in that room. There was a lot of, a lot of angry people, a lot of, there was some, there was tears, um, just because they barely made it through COVID and most of them that have, okay, well, look at a guide outfitter, say a guide outfitter buys a territory in 2010. He has a grizzly bear, probably some mm -hmm. black bear in there, moose and caribou. Black bear is not really a huge selling item. I don't see way up North. Not a big money maker. No, no. Grizzly bear, huge. Now, if you're told you're going to lose caribou altogether and maybe be given two moose tags, you're done. Yeah, you're done. I would imagine well, they've got some pretty big overhead and everything too. I mean, all those. Well, the thing, horses. the thing is, they're taking deposits from when did COVID start? 2020. So they're probably taking yeah. deposits from 2020. Right now, yeah. they don't have any hunt. They have no other income. They're obviously living off that money. 2021. You know, it's at the last minute. It gets. It gets, you know, the borders open up, but how many guys were actually able to make it across, right? So, and there's, and I can imagine some guides, guide outfitter companies are probably would be in a situation where they've got a backlog of hunters and now too few actual licenses for people. Yeah. Well, that's right? what if I they're mean. losing. Yeah. yeah, exactly. If they're losing license, they can't even, it's going to take years to, to actually. I honor those commitments or refunds, right? Yeah. So, well, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But, exactly. but I mean, on the other hand, and again, I think, I think you you mentioned this as well. So I'm not stealing ideas here, but I, I could, yeah, it's as the as the BC government, knowing that logistically and just sort of ethically in terms of the the foundations of the management system, that it's going to be exceedingly difficult to actually 
you know, shut down the hunt to non-residents of the region, but keep it open to resident residents of the region. That's that's all but impossible. So you know, like you can under you can under you can see mm -hmm. and understand exactly. if you're if you're sort of responsible for running a, a government, how okay, well the what what's the only thing available then is to just reduce overall the number of hunters in the area it's, and you it, you know yeah exactly exactly and that's what i said in my post so i said hey yeah. listen following that one two three four guy light of you know mm -hmm. the priority for wildlife and being unfeasible to just tell a taxpayer you can have access to this resource that the that as a british columbian others can have that's some i, I yeah. just don't see how that is manageable first of all and i just don't see how like I just I I don't see that happening, right? Yeah, and, and so legally do it. No, yeah. well, you, that's what I mean. Like I I just don't see it's happening. So maybe maybe you know, and the thing is, nobody knows. But maybe the maybe the the government has taken all this over into consideration over the last five months, five and a half months, and they said, hey, we have no other alternative here. Either if this is the if if this is what the First Nations really want, because they're their rights to hunt and fish are being affected, then we have to honor that, which they do. They totally do 100%. But in order for them to get that, we have to do this, which is they have to shut down the caribou and they have to limit the moose. Now, if you go back to that one, two, three, four rule, yes, the guide outfitters are last on that list. It sucks. It sucks a lot. But the government has an obligation to the resident hunter. So this is mm -hmm. where we're at, right? Yeah. And, yeah. you know, this is where I, I still kind of come back to this, to this, um, the bigger context here. Um, well, okay. So first of all, you know, uh, yeah, just as we have been saying, this is an emotional topic and all these things are emotional. This is, mm -hmm. this is why, this is why we all like hunting, you know, in addition to the, to the food and the exercise and all of that, it's because it's an activity that connects with every single part of our lives. And so it's emotional and it's, it's, it gets heated. So putting that aside for a moment though, this is where I kind of, I'm interested in right and i think just to clarify to people what we're saying it's absolutely not that we're saying great great idea where do i sign it's that we're saying if you follow the logic if you follow the steps through right then we can understand how this is where we might this is why we might get to a situation where we are now right so if i if i say to someone you know all green foods are poisonous and spinach is green therefore spinach is poisonous I'm obviously incorrect in that, but the, the logic is sound, right? What I've said makes sense. And I think that's what I want to kind of emphasize is that's kind of what we're saying is if you follow this through and sort of put the pieces together, that's what we can kind of understand how this, how we get to this situation. Yeah. But, exactly. exactly. Yeah. But I mean, where we, where I still kind of come back to the, the bigger context is, is the entire reason that we're, that the BC government was in this process, which is a decision from a, a, a BC Supreme Court decision to address infringements to treaty rights. And my big question is still whether or not, and I mean, I don't have the answer to this full disclosure, but my, my question is right, is still, is the BC government actually making decisions that address the whole foundational part of what that court found? And is, are, these, are these changes to hunting regulations actually going to address the fundamental issue, which was, cumulative impacts that resulted in treaty infringements because of resource extraction decisions. And I, it's, it's, it's easy to see how people are getting really frustrated because there's decisions being made that affect an important part of their life that we then don't really understand exactly how these decisions are really addressing the fundamental issue here. Yes. 
Yeah, exactly. It's, yeah, it's, uh, it's, I don't know, man. It's just so it's it, like, and, and that's the thing too. And, and like, this thing's not that old, right? It kind of just came out when Jesse Zeman um, mm-hmm. let everybody know what was going on and then it hit social media and then it blew up and then we're a week and a half into it. And then the dynamic of it kind of changed a little bit here and there because there's other parties coming out, making statements. And then you, you're, you're having death threats made and like, Pete and I said today, man, you're going to be able to make a fucking movie out of this by the time it's all done. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's crazy. I mean, you look at the beginning of it and the way, you know, just not really knowing much about, uh, I, I knew that there was a court decision, but I hadn't really followed up on the whole thing at the beginning. So when it kind of came out and the way that it was written and correct me, you know, maybe you guys have a different take on it. But when I first read the beginning headlines, when I first heard about it, heard about it from uh, uh, Jesse Zimmerman, it, it sounded like it was all directed at uh, industrial encroachment. Mm-hmm. That's, that's kind of where the blame was. And then now it's been shift, you know, and, the, and then the answer, you know, as we know, came out as hunting restrictions. Now, I think a lot of stuff could have been just transparency. Mm-hmm. Like if they would have just been open about the whole thing, you know, where it started, what they plan on doing about it. But when you jump from industrial encroachment, which we all know is happening. It's happening everywhere. Um, what what are they doing to, you know, be transparent about what their plans are to help with the initial or what they're telling us is the initial cause anyway. And then going from there, like when you jump from business to all of a sudden resident hunters and, and restricting moose restrictions, you're just like, where's the rest of the story here? Like this, this is so incomplete. Mm-hmm. So Anyway, to be clear, I just wanted to clear up what the post said, because I, like I said earlier, and then we kind of touched on it, is that I don't think a lot of people are, they're just, they're seeing that post, they're getting emotional as they're reading it, they're not reading the whole thing. So if you're going to read that post, and it's on my Instagram, read it, take a breath, read it again, and see what I actually said, because I've, like, I've been getting a lot of messages, some text messages, a few phone calls about guys that aren't reading it through. I never once said that the guide out this is what you know this where we're at is is what the guide outfitters wanted never said that at all um you know all i did was i laid out exactly what i heard and all i did was ask a question if this is what is being asked by a first nation it's their right to ask that if they feel that their rights to hunt and fish are being affected. It's their right to ask that. Can't argue that. But if that's what's being asked, then maybe this is the only solution. And the government, maybe they're looking out for the resident hunter in the first place. Mm-hmm. Having said that, um, I kind of want to talk about dealing with this issue now because like it or not, we're having this conversation and it's, it's a tricky one. It's, uh, again, a lot of people's emotions they run rampant and they get, you know, I don't even know how to bring this conversation up, <laughs> which is kind of why yeah. I asked you, you here, Paul, because I know you're great with these kind of things. You know, <laughs> the, the, the thing is a lot of people like to do is just ignore it rather than talking about it, which I don't think does any good either. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of people right now, maybe they're angry with first nations, but you know, like it or not, that's their right. Yeah. That was, that was one in a court of law and, we have to deal with that. And then the thing is, the sooner we learn to deal with it, I think the better we're all going to, we're all going to be at the end of it. And, and the faster we're going to get out of this and the sooner we're going to be able to learn to work together. That's what. Yeah. I I, no, I, I totally agree. I mean, I think 
we get into a situation right these days, um, everything is so polarized. As soon as you say something, you are, as soon as you say anything, you're immediately walking into, you're, you're being sort of backed into a corner of bipartisanship. Are you conservative or are you liberal, right? And we are increasingly losing that really nuanced middle ground where, in my mind, where the bulk of understanding and meaning and, and actual sense of everything comes in. Um, and there, there's a reason that people that, you know, we have this kind of polarization and that that's what sells. That's what sells for the media. That's what sells for politicians. That's what sells for large companies is to get people dramatically categorized. Um, and the faster that we can, as a society that we can, you know, lump someone into one category or the other, the easier it is, um, to sell that and to, to, you know, shuffle those, those complexities off. Right. And I think, I, I, that's, I think when you said, you know, read something, pause, read it again, mm-hmm. then decide if you know enough and you want to, and you want to say something about it. And that's, I think, yeah, where we get to with this right now is, is needing to remember that there is a deep historical context here to these issues. And this is not a matter, it, it, this is really not a matter of, um, you know, which side of a political spectrum you're on or partisanship. I think we have to remember to kind of separate out that the fact that you know we have in canada a history of colonialism a history of of interactions and relationships between you know initially european governments and then the canadian government and and canadians and settlers and industry and all of that 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 are all tangled up in their relationships with indigenous peoples across this country Um, and that's not a that's not a political statement that's not a liberal or conservative or anything else statement that's sort of reviewing the history of this country. And, and I think, um, you know, when you say that, you know, we kind of need to figure out, well, where, where is the, how do we work together on these things? That's, that is the crux of all of this, right? Yeah. That is exactly what the, these questions are, is figuring out how different groups of people and different rights holders and stakeholders work together on these issues around management and decision-making and conservation. Um, and so that, that, that's, that goes far beyond just kind of a, um, a happy thing to think that we're going to work together. That, that's really exactly legally, legally and politically, this is what we're trying to sort out in all of this. Um, mm-hmm. What do we have to do? What agreements have been made? What promises have been made and legal agreements signed between the Canadian government and, in this case, First Nations communities that we all have to honor? And, and we have, as citizens of Canada, we need to remember that governments operate on our behalf, right? So they are, we elect representatives and those Canadian government does things on our behalf. And so when a, a treaty, for instance, is signed by the federal government and provincial governments, they're signing that on behalf of all Canadians. And we, we all, I think these days to be, to be a little less poetic about it, everyone these days, we really want to beat our chests about rights, right? Right. Like our rights yeah. and freedoms. The flip side of rights is responsibilities. There's, there's not a single aspect of my life that I can think about where the flip side of my rights and entitlements is not responsibilities, whether that's my family, my neighborhood, my workplace, my territory or country, right? So I think that's what I, that to me, what sort of stands out here is that um, we have rights and responsibilities and we have, and as Canadians um, and everyone living in this country, we're all, we're all treaty people. We are all part of these treaties and everyone has rights and responsibilities under those treaties. And so that's, I think the question, right? Is what, what are we to do? at this point and to sort that out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I don't uh man, it's it's 
Yeah, it, it's going to be really interesting moving forward, especially with this situation and trying to, you know, just trying to keep convince people to keep an open mind. And I, mm-hmm. you know, I, what I wish would happen is I wish people would get a little bit, get a little bit more involved before it's too late. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, I know a lot of people say, oh, I feel like I'm just been hit with a truck with all this stuff. Well, actually, dude, this stuff's been going on for a long time. Just mm-hmm. chose to not pay attention to it. And that's why, I mean, I, that's why as someone who has lived in Ontario and Newfoundland and Labrador and now the Yukon, I'm trying to pay attention to what's going on in every province and territory in Canada and in the States, because things like this set precedent, issues like this set precedent, not just for the, the province or the territory it's in or the state, and not even just for the country and the politics and the, the, the regulations and legislation, though that as well, but mm-hmm. also just for the bigger context around conservation and hunting, right? And when we look back at the history of hunting and conservation, a lot of the big movement movements and moments have been these kind of points in time, right? We talk about the big ones, right? We talk about the bison and the passenger mm-hmm. pigeon and endangered species things, all, all that. And I, I think that's why it's important. I, I agree with you. That's why it's important for people to pay attention and to sort of connect the dots about what's going on. None of these things exist in isolation. It's it's not dramatic to say that what was happening in the late 1800s around bison is connected to what's happening now, you know, and that and that we these things are not just compartmentalized. And it is important for us to pay attention and to get involved and knowing the bigger context that these things fit into. Okay, well, sorry, everybody. Um, bonehead move, move on my part. I signed in with the wrong account and the uh, the meeting zoomed out. So Paul was given a great speech here. But uh, just continuing <laughs> on what uh, what we were talking about is we were talking about racism and, and just dealing with, you know, these complicated issues now that affect all of us and the, the emotions running high. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, you know, like I, I, I had just said, it's it's a tricky conversation. But um, you know, and I think a lot of guys too, they need help addressing it. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think mm-hmm. they just don't like, they don't know any, and a lot of them too, maybe they're, they're easily influenced where they're just like, yeah, 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 man. Like one person posts something and then it just creates a social, like just a bad thread. Do you know what I mean? On, on anything like on social media, in conversation, people just build off it instead of one sitting back and being like, okay, here, let's, maybe we should scroll up instead of scrolling down here. Let's dive into this a little bit more and, and, yeah. and, you know, see if we can come up with a solution or see what's the root of the problem here, you know, and it's kind of like at what we were talking about at the beginning there, you know, take, take a moment, take a breath, read the post, read it again. If you still have, if you're not, if you're, you're still a little confused, which we all are, you know, reach out or, you know, google something there's lots of information out there and i mean unfortunately it's up to all of us to to process what we we take as good information and bad and and i know i get it sorting out through some of that shit is it's not the easiest yeah and i mean find people who who aren't telling you stuff you already think you know you know Mm -hmm. reaching out to your buddy who who gets you more jacked up and doesn't challenge anything doesn't sort of push and, and tell you something you don't already think is not probably helping all the time. Right. And I think that, that I think was what we were kind of talking about before we got um, booted out there um, is just sort of remembering, like trying to understand the bigger context and the historical context of all of this stuff 
And, you know, it, it doesn't just start and end with this, with this one particular issue. And this one case right here, these, these fit into bigger conversations, historical conversations, and, and they're going to change and affect hunting and conservation and, and relationships between, um, you know, settler Canadians and, and indigenous, indigenous people in this country into the future. So these are long processes. These aren't things that get summarized in and, and sort of dealt with in whatever Twitter's at right now, 280 characters or less, right? Like these are, these are complicated issues. And trying to simplify them um, is is not doing a service to to us or to hunting and conservation at all. And I think that's what you know. For me, I think it's it's sort of we need to be we need to become very comfortable with the complexity of these things and sort of question and resist anything that presents them and anyone, whether that's a person or a political party or a media outlet or whatever that presents these things as simple and easily easily compartmentalized um, because they're not you know no exactly and i think a lot of people feel threatened and i think their natural reaction is to like fight do you know what i mean like i mean the the fact is indigenous reconciliation isn't going away it's not done like it or not this is something we're all gonna have to learn to live with and deal with not that it's a bad thing it's just something that's happening and you know, back to what I said earlier, I think that if people took it upon themselves to be a little bit more engaged with these conversations that are happening every day, and you know what, if they don't agree with something, then deal with it in a positive way, but deal with it then don't let it sit and build Mm -hmm. up and don't wait till it's too late. It's like, it's like how I think a lot of people are feeling right now with, you know, with potentially losing a hunt that, you know, some maybe some people have gone up there for four generations, maybe. Some people have gone up there with their great grandfathers and they, they hold it near and dear to them. And I get that. I get that a lot. I have places, you know, that I've only hunted. My family hasn't hunted them. I mean, we, we moved down here from the North. We hunted in a lot of areas up there and I'm sure other people up there feel the same way, but down here, I have places that I hold very near and dear to me. And if you took them away, I tell you, I'd be very, very mm-hmm. upset because I spend a lot of my time in there. My kids and I, we spend a lot of time in there and that's to us, that's part of our livelihood. Right. Yeah. Yep. Well, and I think um, a lot, the, the one thing that I'm hoping for is regardless, regardless of the decision that's made at the end, the one thing I don't want is for this just to be rushed out, slapped together. And here's what we're going to do. I'd rather it be all parties involved. Everybody put their cards on the table, you know, get the best possible result for, as many people as possible. I'm sure there's always going to be people that, you know, we're not going to be able to keep everybody happy, Mm -hmm. but have a well thought out process. Everybody say what they want, say how it affects them. If you know, like a plan A, B, C, D, and then let's try to pick all those together and let's, you know, just a giant round table, but leave the politics out of it as much as possible and try to come up with uh, a plan that suits as many people as possible. If you just mm-hmm. throw it together, that's what I'm worried about. Something, you know, you're going to make, like we talked about a little earlier, you're going to make a decision and you're like, okay, that, that doesn't sound so bad. But when you actually start asking people, the ramifications are actually huge for some small decisions or thoughts that nobody brought up. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm worried about. Well, you, you know, the thing, Pete, I think that this is this whole thing, like this whole 
being rushed into it. I don't think anyone's being rushed into it. This, from my understanding, this all started in like 2016. Like this goes way back, right? And then it just, in October, the court said, hey, told the province, you have six months to deal with this. Now, I think this is a reflection of how our, how things work inside our government. I think things take too long. I think there's mm-hmm. too many people that need to sign off or need to approve it things that don't have invested interest in that particular subject. Like the issue of wildlife management shouldn't have to go through 50 freaking people in government. It should, this issue should be brought to a round table, like you said, where you have a representative, say um, the, the first nations, maybe that's a multiple seat thing. Maybe it's a whole bunch of seats. I don't know. You need a resident from resident hunters there, the guide outfitters there, forestry, fish, um, you know, uh, and whoever else, maybe, you know, the anti-hunters have a t- seat at the table, mm-hmm. right? Every, everybody with invested interest, every, every resident deserves to have a voice. And um, I, I think that's the problem. I think a lot of resident hunters feel like they're not, they're not being represented. They're not being heard and they're just being left out. And, and, and this is what creates this frustration, I think. Yeah. And I think like, you know, that's as a, as a resident hunter, as someone not in BC, but as a licensed hunter, as in, as in non-Indigenous hunter in, in Canada, you know, we, we are not, like, I think the, the message is we absolutely cannot descend into lobbying sort of racist fastballs all over the place. You know, mm-hmm. um, we, we need to realize the context that all this is in and the, the political context and the social context and that, yes, we are one voice and one stakeholder here but you know we have a situation in this country where rights are not all the same across all groups and and that's that's for important reasons and people may not agree with those reasons but there is a point where um you know you know everyone has an opinion about this but not necessarily grounded in the same set of knowledge and and perspectives on it right so the the fact of it is is that not everyone's right to hunt is exactly the same and that is that is for important reasons and so when we get into the to sort of bringing perspectives to the table um we are we are doing active harm to hunting itself in society and to our kind of place in at that table that proverbial table you guys are talking about as licensed hunters if we start firing off racist social media posts anti-indigenous comments all over the place we are we're actively harming hunting and our and our place and our voice on, in that right and we need to get to a place where we can you know express yes we need to express what this hunting in, in this region might mean to us and our families and we need to be able to express a political opinion about the decisions that, that come out of this and we need to express uncertainty and maybe understand express that we don't know the whole story on certain things and all of those things can be true you know, we don't, we don't minimize, and I, and I hear this sometimes in, the, in, in, in various arguments and debates and in the hunting community as well, that, that the second we say that we don't know something and that we're unsure, it's sort of this idea that we are opening ourselves up to weakness or vulnerability. And I just don't think that's true. I just, I just refuse to accept that, that um, multiple things can be true. We can feel passionate about the ability to continue hunting and, and doing things that we love. And we can also understand that the perspective and the position that like making anti-indigenous and racist comments anywhere is just wrong. 
that's that's not a political opinion that's that's something that we all need to kind of understand and, and that it's harming hunting the more we see that and hear that from people um, yeah exactly if we want okay now as resident hunters if we want to be heard if we want to be have a voice if we want to be brought into these negotiations if we want to be part of this active conversation racism you know anything to do with racism death threats any mm-hmm. threats of any kind that you know what i mean we're going to be left out yeah. hanging high and dry indefinitely that's yeah. not the way to get your foot in the door absolutely not no exactly and um and as i say i think whatever perspective we look at this from if we if we want to look at this from the, the position as you know the kind of the, the as sort of um proud canadians or you know p- proud hunters we have to kind of go back and look and realize that that engaging thoughtfully in this process of reconciliation affects all Canadians and it's, it's in the constitution. So the risk of sounding a bit dramatic, you know, to, to be against the idea of reconciliation or against thinking of thought, you know, critically and, and, and um, earnestly about our obligations in this country to treaties is not doing justice. It's not standing up for the constitution It's not standing up for our democracy or the history of hunting and the history of what hunting and conservation means in this country um and you know the, the the history of hunting and conservation in canada and in north america grew out of this sort of movement towards that democracy and it has difficult past and difficult histories with regards to relationships with oh, indigenous it, it, communities it does man the, the history of hunting it's a lot of it's dark you know yeah, I mean? a lot of it absolutely. a lot of it's not pretty you know what i mean yeah. like a lot of it's ugly yeah there's a lot and, of ugliness in it but i mean yeah, it, it, to some of us, and I mean, to a lot of us, it's part of our heritage. Now, in saying that, it's part of our heritage and that, you know, my I started hunting with my dad when I was eight years old and and so on and so on. It doesn't mean that somebody who's 37 years old, an adult onset hunter getting into hunting can't enjoy the same things mm-hmm. that I love to do. He absolutely can. But there is, it's... It, hunting has evolved like not hunting mm-hmm. itself but you know what i mean hunting as an entity has evolved yeah. it's, it's not how it was before it's never going to be like that we have to learn to accept the fact that the indigenous people have rights to hunting and fishing we have to accept those rights we have we do have rights as our own you know as as resident tag holders if we go out and buy a hunting license we have rights as well mm-hmm. um yeah, and and not only that, it's not that it's changed. I think it's still changing. You know oh yeah, I, mean? I think it's yeah, gonna yeah. it's gonna be a revolving door of 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 changes, and uh, you know, I, and there's gonna be issues coming up again where some there you know something is gonna be threatened to be taken away from the resident mm-hmm. hunter, and you know maybe on the other side of the table, maybe it's gonna be threatened to take a taken away from the First Nations as well because of of you know, uh, resource, you know, uh, uh, environmental changes, right? Yeah. Maybe there's not going to be a sustainable harvest for moose, right? Then everybody's going to suffer. But if, if we all work, if we're all sitting in a room, pointing fingers, butting heads, swearing at each other, that's never going to help in the end. It's not going to help the resource. No. Right? And I think yeah. like people need to remember too, that any community you go to anywhere, is it, that's a homogenous, that's a heterogeneous group. It's a group of people that have all kinds of different opinions, right? No, no community of people anywhere shares the exact same opinion, the same perspective, 
or and and believes 100% in every decision made by their government. I mean, that's that's something that I think is is especially over the last few years we we that's something at least the very least we all have in common is that we we don't all agree with every decision made by every government in, the, in this country and on this continent. And we need to also more broadly recognize that there's no there's no sort of pan-Indigenous voice or perspective. There's no one thing that all Indigenous communities and even all people within one Indigenous community think. And, um, you know, having worked with, like you say, having wor- I've worked with First Nations and Inuit and across Canada, and like every community everywhere, there are many perspectives and many experiences and voices within those communities and between those communities. And so, you know, to kind of, I think, again, the message there to non-Indigenous and to resident licensed hunters um, is to, we, we need, really need to resist that and resist the, the, that perspective that, I, that we can, that, that we understand every single person's perspective on, on this, mm-hmm. another community and another group of people somewhere. And because like you say, when that, when that idea, when that belief that one group of people is all the same, but it's up against heated, emotionally charged issues. We get that ugliness that we're talking about, and it's it's not going to help, and it is going to do active harm. And it and and that's I think we kind of bring it full circle where we started on this is why I'm paying attention to this issue. Why I'm you know not being a BC resident. You know I've um, done graduate work in Indigenous politics and in legal decisions around that affect um, Indigenous rights and, and jurisdiction and things like that. And I'm a hunter and I've worked in environmental research and management. And there's all these things that come together for me. And I think that that's, that's really my big message in this is this is complicated and this is not going to be isolated to this one case in this one instance of this one region of one province. This is going to have this is going to interact. It's going to come back up, and we need to take the time to understand it and to really get comfortable with all the different complexities of it, of this, of this issue, the legal ones and the political ones, and, and the environmental issues and the interpersonal aspects of it. Um, and the easy way out is the the, the cheap, the le- lazy, and the easy way out is to is to be is to like I say, kind of lob these racist balls across the room, and it's it's just. Um, it's not the one that's going to advance our hunting interests, our, our social or political interests, or just our interests as, as human beings. Um, yeah, yeah, no, it's uh, like I said, it's it's not going to get us. It's not going to get us where we want to be. And as resident hunters, I think I speak for a lot of resident hunters that we want to be heard. We want to make sure that our voice is heard, and we want to make sure that our rights are being protected. Because, I mean. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like we we just can't be shut out completely. Mm-hmm. That to me, that's unacceptable. If they were to say resident hunters can't hunt anymore, I'd be just like, no, yeah. like that's not going to happen. I'm going to tell you straight now, that is not going to happen. Yeah, and, now, that's, and, and I that's... know a lot of guys up there are feeling the same thing. Like somebody who's lived up in that region for sixty years, he's had to shoot a moose for the last fifty years. And you go tell, or a caribou, and you go tell him, no, you didn't get an LEH straw this year. You mm-hmm. can't go hunt moose. You think he's not going to go shoot a moose and to feed his family? Especially as we've been pointing out, you know, for the last couple of weeks, this has been going on, the last few weeks, really, that this is, 
the, the, the British Columbia government has made these decisions in the absence of conservation concerns, right? The yeah, moose, well, it, moose exactly. populations are not going down. The, no. the hunt is well managed. And so as I mean, we've been hearing, this is one of the things that has been inspiring about this particular case to me, as troublesome as it is, is we're seeing um, the, the BC Wildlife Federation, the Wild Chief Society of BC, um, Wilderness Locals, you guys at Focus, we're seeing a, all of these big organizations, Howl for Wildlife, Blood Origins, um, and Hunt to Eat, making the point that this there, there is a difference between going after the groups in this case and that have that have recognized and affirmed rights and there's and between that and the british the decisions made by the british columbia government and that they all of the organizations i've seen speaking out about this so far they've done a commendable job in, including you of making the point that we need to be sort of going after and targeting and addressing the bc government in this case they're the ones that have that are on the hook for uh, irresponsible resource extraction for treaty violations for and now for poor decisions about hunting management, or, or at least, or at least, as you guys have said, communication about the, the reasons for those decisions and a lack of transparency, and that's the well, point, right? I think, yeah, like from you know, the, yeah, like it goes back to maybe, maybe, like I said earlier, maybe they are looking out for the for our best interest in this case. But the thing is, they sh this should have been addressed. They did a yep. shitty job, and this should have been addressed a long time ago. Mm -hmm. This should have been addressed to resident hunters a long, long time ago when it first got addressed to them. And and I think I don't think that anyone has been dramatic in this by point by saying that, you know, the, that the government is is falling back on this kind of divide and conquer approach. They're lobbying these decisions out there without communication, explanation. And now we're seeing different groups of people at each other's throats. And well, exactly, exactly. That's exactly what they did. They threw it out to proposal, you know what I mean? And they they put it out two weeks before it ended mm -hmm. and with no explanation of why, why this is happening. There's no background history on it. And like, again, you know, myself included could have been paying attention a little more, but I mean, like, there's so much stuff. How do you keep track of it all? Do you know what I mean? And live mm -hmm. your life and do all that. Like, I, I get it. I get yeah. it, but the government should have been a little bit more clear on exactly what's going on. Now, I get the fact that they can't actively comment on current negotiations or stuff that are in a court case battle. I get it, but a little transparency would go a long way. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. And like, as much as we're saying it's their responsibility to communicate, to make, and then communicate about wildlife management decisions, the the provincial, territorial, and federal governments in this country also have a responsibility to facilitate processes like reconciliation. So, yes, I I understand that they that they can't disclose the inner workings of negotiations and and legal discussions, right? But they do have a responsibility to both Indigenous and non-Indigenous British Columbians and Canadians to prevent what has been what we're seeing starting to happen here, and which is which is you know anger and animosity towards groups. The, our governments have a responsibility to to step in and to make sure that they're communicating things and facilitating discussions in a way that um, is not allowing for and is not creating these kinds of disagreements and anger and issues and stuff. And, and, and at the very least, in that, they failed. Yes. There's so many different roads and there's so many different ways looking back on it now, how it could have went. I mean, obviously, hindsight's 2020, but yeah, and it just and, and that's the thing. And then guys get hit with stuff that information that they're hearing for the first time. And 
they get pissed off. Yeah. And I, and I, and I, you know, I wanted like definitely give you credit there. You know, you made, you made the point a couple of times and I made it in a piece that I wrote about this as well. If, if honoring treaty obligations to first nations, if, if, if one of the issues in or, or needs in that is to adjust hunting regulations so that we're ensuring as, as, that as resident and licensed hunters, that we are upholding treaty obligations. We need to consider that and we need to be, we need to understand that. And, and um, again, this is not a, a, a partisan political issue. This is in that case, this is a matter of legal and moral obligations that we have that, and commitments that we, that, that, that our country has made. And I think that's important. The point that you made that you said there, you know, and again, I kind of come back that that can exist at the same time as disappointment and frustration and the expression of like the impacts of decisions like that. But if we need to make decisions, you know, if current hunting regulations are a factor in, um, in, in treaty issues, then we need to go to the table and we need to consider that. And we need to yeah. openly think about that. And I think that that's where this has come to me is it has not been clear to me that adjusting the hunting regulations is going to address uh, identified treaty issues and violations. And if it is that, then, then, Hey, that's, that changes the conversation to me. That's the situation. Okay. Like on Friday, Friday afternoon, before I went to that meeting, that was the situation. That was my understanding is mm-hmm. that it would, that shutting down, if you were to shut down moose and caribou hunting or shut down caribou hunting, put on an LEA straw, that's still not going to m- meet what is being asked of the government, right? right. It's not going to meet the criteria of what is being asked of the government. But then why does this take so fucking long? Why do it two weeks before it, it's going back to court right away? Why wait so long? Yeah, exactly. Right? Like yep. in October, in October, well, come on, they knew about it way before October, right? It's just in October, the court said, October said, hey, you have six months to make it come up with a solution that's going to meet the, the requests of the nation's and if that is not met, we're going to come up w- with one for you. Now, I don't understand how that all works in front of a court. Now, the province has an obligation. They got a number one support. They got it for wildlife. It's conservation, First Nations, resident hunters. Now, does the court have to abide by that? Or can the court, if it, if it goes in front of a court, can a judge just say, okay, well, we're going to let resident hunters of the peace hunt here. We're going to let uh, guide outfitters operate this and resident hunters, the the rest of the resident hunters of the province, you're out. The, yeah, like, these are questions. Yeah. These are questions. These are questions that people have, right? I'm yeah. not the only one who has this question as a resident hunter. There's tons of guys, but nobody like this is stuff that the provincial government should have should have presented with in even if they listed that into proposal it doesn't have to go into that deal but just say hey these are this is what this is what roughly we need to accomplish these are our options any feedback on the best option we'd love to hear it mm-hmm. but they didn't and then yeah. resident hunters get slapped in the face and unfortunately when a first nation's right to hunt and fish gets put oh man like when a first yeah. nation's <laughs> when a first nation's right to hunt and fish man like a lot of people feel that there's some there's food on the table and it's being given to one side of the table and the rest of the people are just going to be hungry yeah that's Uh, tough yeah it's super tough and that's there's just so i i think like for myself i have way more questions now than i did friday morning yeah i know yeah as a friday i just figured it was a simple oh here we go again it's uh 
government's taking the side of industry here and we're just well and that's another thing you hear on the outside but another thing another thing you hear is that oh katrine conroy our minister she's got she's got family ties to logging so then you start hearing this stuff and you're like oh jesus i know exactly what's going on right they want they want to keep logging in an area where the where the nations had said no we we don't want logging in here and because we want to have a better moose and caribou harvest and and the resident hunters are out just so they can keep logging yeah like there's Mm -hmm. so many things that float around and you're like jesus like again and i mean i'm guilty of it as just as much as the next guy you read it and you're like right away your brain starts putting these little pieces of the puzzle together that maybe they're not there maybe that's not even from the right fucking puzzle yeah but you're putting it there because it connects the dots the easiest for for you when you're looking at it quickly yes like yes it does but and then it goes back to what like paul touched on earlier and what what we had all said you know take a read it take a breath read it again yeah Yeah. and and engage in the whole picture in the whole context right don't sort of cherry pick the things that are going to confirm and the the confirmation bias piece of things i don't just kind of cherry pick the the things that are going to confirm there is a bigger context to all of this you know yeah. and we need to we need to understand it all it's just not gonna go like this is unfortunately this isn't the last of it do you know what i mean i mean not that there's going to be more issues like this in the near future yes um, I, yeah. I feel that sheep are going to be um subject to a conversation coming up probably sooner than later mm-hmm. and uh again but I, again you know we having said that we got to just we got to stay focused on the objective whether we like it or not as resident hunters um first nations have priority over us mm-hmm. conservation is number one first nations two resident hunters and then the outfitters outfitters you know with with all this stuff coming up a lot of the bottom line is it doesn't even matter which part you look at is the mismanagement from the government uh business wise first nations wise wildlife wise they've mismanaged everything and take like you yep. said earlier kevin they've taken so long uh and that's why we're here on their decisions on their poor decisions mm-hmm. and what do you what are your thoughts uh both of you on in bc in bc in particular on having another body uh another association something that is in charge of the wildlife that's that's their goal is the wildlife section to to take the politics out of it it's educate uh hunters non-hunters anti-hunters on their goals like to bring wildlife back and you know once you take the politics out and then when you have these round tables you know you've got your different government bodies that are coming in for you know uh, logging uh guide outfitters resident hunters you know every every place is different but when the wildlife has their own spokesperson or group and that's all they focus on um what do you guys think of of that do you think that would help some of the situation out instead of having things mixed all the time yeah yeah you know pete i think that like i love that idea and i think that's easy to say but i think once you get into politics it completely changes that's fair enough that's what i think i think soon as you get like soon as you get into that world i think it just i think it's a lot different like i'm not in politics i paul i don't know if you have any background in it but i don't i think once you're engaged in that we're talking about somebody who's elected or somebody who's given that seat yeah it's yeah, not going to be me or you sitting at that table wouldn't be allowed i'd be throwing tables 
but see <laughs> last about a day <laughs> yeah so and that's the thing and then i'd like sure enough say like and apparently that the apparently there's a whole big there's whole big reworking being done but what that looks like i don't know and like is it going to do any good i don't know but i think the biggest thing is just transparency openness and communication are going to be the biggest tools that the government can give us in dealing with issues moving forward that's what i think throw education in there too i think that's what a lot of people i'm not talking school education i'm talking the facts everything mm-hmm. like from start to beginning like this is this is why we're doing it even simple things like prescribed burns why we're doing them what they benefit um you know predator control whatever you whatever you want education on everything not just the bare minimum so that groups can well like you guys are saying cherry pick whatever mm-hmm. certain fundamentals they want out of each thing but be like no this is why we're doing it start to well, yeah i mean and it gets into economic right it's like second growth why can they not log second growth the roads are already there mm-hmm. yeah Go- government doesn't get doesn't get any fees from roads that are already there they only get it from new roads being built right so yeah that's the thing is the government's looking at a budget that they have to meet they've got promises they have to meet people are looking at them to meet budgets they got lots of different that's where i think like that's why i think it's easy to sit here and say we need this but like once you get involved and all of a sudden you're like oh my god like we got uh how, like right now in vancouver or not just in vancouver all over like what's a hot topic gasoline prices right affordable housing these are issues that politicians people in office are dealing with every day and so when it comes to a table, they're like, well, fuck what? Some guys don't get, get to go hunt moose, go hunt them in a different area. Mm-hmm. Do I care? Right. Yeah. There's a lot of shit going on. And I, I, I get the fact that a lot of people have a lot of food, like they've got a lot on their plate, but I also know there's, I know people who work in government and I also know their time can be managed better than it is being managed. Like they mm-hmm. can do more with their day. And yeah. that's, I'm not saying all of them. I'm just saying that there's, there's definitely, yeah, it's just, it could be done a lot better than it's being done. Yeah, anyway, yeah. Um, you guys got anything to add before I wrap this up? Oh, man. <laughs> That's a big one. Yeah, I mean, I'm uh, I'm just, I'm eagerly watching, you know, from, uh, and I know that there are others in the Yukon watching as well. I've been chatting with people thinking, you know, as we kind of watch this stuff unfold in different areas around the continent. Um, and I think it's, I think it's gonna be important for everyone to kind of, I, I mean, I'm, I'm sound like a broken record, but kind of just really pay attention to what's going on around and not see these things as compartmentalized, not see something as well as only a hunting issue. And, and that now it's my issue or only another kind of issue. And now therefore it's not my issue because yeah. we're seeing these things come together and we're seeing as, as we're seeing different issues that we might think are discrete and separate, they do affect each other. Um, and it takes, it takes reflection and it takes, um, you know, a kind of patient engagement with it to understand it all. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I think we're going to look back on these and the, as, as some of these issues as turning points in our understanding of hunting and, and conservation. So, yeah. And, and hopefully they are, hopefully they're a wake up call to people to start getting engaged and, you know, and just to, just to get engaged and, and start paying attention and be part of, stuff that's going on don't just wait for the regs to come out and open up the page yep. to your region and then be like holy shit they shut down the moose hunt yeah or like holy shit we can only hunt moose for three days yeah 
you know, educate yourself on the whole story before you start commenting because you're going to end up looking like a fool mm-hmm. if you actually don't know what you're talking about because you've only read a few comments here and a few comments there. And you think well, you've got the whole you story. Know what? And it's funny too, you like not just the post I wrote, but you read other posts and you start reading some of the comments and you're like, dude, did you read any of that fucking post that, that the <laughs> guy right. put down? Yeah. Like, what the f- what are you talking about, man? Yeah. <laughs> that has nothing to do with what was said. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but and you know what else is really interesting is that how they're going to deal with the issue. Say this does go through the harmonizing of, of regions six and seven regarding moose and caribou. Because from my understanding, if this gets shut down in region seven, it gets shut down. If it if that harmonization did go through, which I don't think anybody probably paid too much attention to it um, back in January. I think people just kind of looked at it and been like, I don't know what the heck you're talking about, right? I, I, it, it's going to be really interesting moving forward where that plays into all this because if and even up in your area paul mm-hmm. uh because you know if there's say that harmonization did go through for moose and caribou that means no more caribou hunting in british columbia and it also means moose on leh in every, all of british columbia north of prince north of quenelle basically yeah now what's that gonna ha- what kind of impact is that gonna have on the wildlife as a resource in your neck like in the yukon totally oh yeah regarding regarding guide outfitters right because that the demand is still there Mm -hmm. and 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 i think that with the declining numbers in caribou i think the demand is more there ever where guys are like man i I, caribou is a bucket list bucket list hunt of mine i got to get in there now and do it right so it's gonna be really interesting uh like i said that's the thing when wildlife wildlife don't and wildlife don't operate by provincial territorial boundaries no exactly yeah exactly and they don't they're not paying attention to what's going on no exactly i mean like the caribou down here could be like oh shit this is way better i'm not getting shot at but the guys their buddies north are gonna be like (laughs) that's right man what's going on here yeah yeah and you know one other thing that i'll kind of leave everyone with um and i I can send this to you we can post this this is this goes back a couple couple years but it's still ongoing you know the cascadene um who are indigenous group that's in um northwest territories yukon and british columbia uh, are working on establishing an indigenous protected and conserved area in northern british columbia right now um they've been working on it for a couple years that um uh you know and so this this one you know particular article and there's there's someone a cascadene woman named jillian staveley who's been really involved in this and um to this area that the dene Kusan area, northern um, BC, th- you know, this stands to have huge benefits to bio- for biodiversity and for anyone who cares about healthy wildlife and healthy areas. And Jillian has said, you know, the hunting community, the, the licensed hunting community has been some of the biggest supporters and allies for this area that they're working on creating because people recognize the Cascadene and the hunting community recognize that this benefits everyone. This benefits wildlife. It benefits licensed hunters, indigenous rights indigenous hunters um and so there is there are these there are these pockets here where we're seeing incredibly inspiring and positive alliances and support between indigenous communities who are working on things and um non-indigenous hunting the non-indigenous hunting communities so i also encourage people to find those and realize that that the narrative is different it's not always what we're seeing in this case so awesome and and i think that's really important right because like, like we touched on earlier is it's I mean, that's what we need, right? Yeah. We need that. Yeah. Wildlife mm-hmm. have to come first, right? Mm-hmm. Above all our needs. Now, obviously, political pressure takes priority 
like this is political pressure, right? The grizzly bear hunt was political pressure. There's no science. There's no science yeah. that supported or said that this needed to be shut down. It was just it's political pressure. But I don't. It doesn't go the other way. It's it, well, I shouldn't say that actually, because I <laughs> there is areas that I think that you know should be looked at, especially down here regarding the sheep. Maybe some areas where um, Peter, what were what were we talking about earlier? Um, the numbers get below. Oh, they the province has set standards. So they've got their own policy that's written, and I can't remember the exact number. I'll say seventy five animals for a herd. Uh, don't quote me on that. We'll just use that as a number. And their policy is if a herd, specific herd, uh, goes below that number, uh, the hunt will be shut down, like LEH, everything, until the, the numbers recover, and then it can go back on LEH. Um, they've already got one hunt. I can't remember where, which, which herd it is. And some of the anger that's going on there is the herd is actually below that number and has been for a few years and they're still running an leh for it so they're going against uh they're going against their own policy there and at the same time they're looking at um putting leh again just another no scientific no scientific evidence uh for another herd down in that area uh, southeastern bc here and they've brought in biologists on the side. Um, Jesse Zeman knows all about this. We've been chatting about it. And even the biologists, world famous, are saying, no, everything's fine. Like, there's no reason to go on, on LEH. Um, we've got to figure out what else is going on for, you know, the herd going down in numbers and stuff. But it doesn't need to go on LEH. But they're pushing it as hard as they can to go LEH. It's just like, well... You're going against biologists, you know, using their science saying, no, don't do this. And then on the other hand, you're going against your policy, you know, keeping a herd that's below its numbers in LEH. So it's just like, you guys need to get your story straight and, and stick to it. But it's just, it's, it's crazy. The mismanagement. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. and again, and, and again, that's, you know, that, that was my, my point earlier is that, uh, you know, a, you know, our fingers, they, they still got to stay pointed at the government because it's, there's a yeah. lot of areas where, where they're not doing a good job and that they need to be done, doing it better and they need to be held accountable too when they're not doing a good job. So, but uh, anyway, it, guys, yeah. uh, I think, I think we got to wrap this up, uh, um, past my bedtime. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, but, uh, Paul, thanks again for coming on, bud. It's, no, uh, thanks a lot, guys. It's always good to chat with you. And I, and I, I again, I, I think, you know, you're doing a great job with this. It's a, this is a tricky one. And um, it's a tough conversation. It's a tough, it like, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's hard to even talk about, but I think you just got to force yourself to talk about it and just, you know, and, and be engaged and just be positive and, and hopefully things are, are going to look better moving forward rather than going in the opposite direction. No. Yeah, exactly. And just keep nudging the conversation along a little bit at a time and, and, and not being afraid. To, like, I think this is something that you've shown such a great leadership on in this particular case is, is not being, it's sort of being willing to, um, change course when new information comes out. That yeah. that's what science is. We talk all the time as hunters, science-based management, science and farm management. Science means adjusting our position as we learn new things and being proud of that and being okay with that, you know, and, and I think that that's what 
um, I think what, what, what you're showing in this and what I think we need to see all hunters kind of embrace is, is these difficult decisions and ways forward and adjusting as we learn new things. So I think you're yeah. doing a good job. So thanks a lot for hosting the conversation start and having it um, in this space and in the hunting community. Uh, we, need it, we need it to happen. We need people to listen and to be part of this. Yeah. Okay, guys. Till the next time, Pete. We'll catch right. up soon. Okay, guys. Have a good Take night. Take care, guys. Yeah, I want to thank everyone again for tuning in to another episode of the Focus Hunting Podcast, which is coming at you as part of the Waypoint Outdoors Collective. This episode of the Focus Hunting Podcast is brought to you by Vortex Optics, the best in optics, period. Backroads Maps, never get lost with Backroads Maps. And AKU Boots, you owe it to your feet. A uh, quick shout out to Hal for Wildlife. If you guys are not familiar with Hal for Wildlife, make sure you head on over to howlforwildlife.org. Become a member. It doesn't cost you anything. they got tons of great stuff going on, and uh, we're going to be working with them, getting some Canadian issues put on their uh, platform. Thanks again, everybody. the stories to back it a life to be proud of it's a winchester life yeah baby six eight western oh, mule there baby right there tune in every tuesday at 7 p.m eastern on waypoint tv